0: Hey guys, Dr. Z, welcome to the ZDuck MD show. I have Dr. Ian Tong, the Chief Medical Officer of Included Health on the show. Welcome to the show, brother. Hey, Zubin, thank you so much for having me. It's hey, great to be here. Listen, man, so people who don't know, that we know each other, we both grew up in in the F- Fresno, California, like straight out the know. That's right. We both <laughs> trained at Stanford. We were contemporaries. You were like, what, one or two years yeah, behind? Yeah, just a couple years behind you, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we go way back yeah. and You, now you're like this big shot chief medical officer and like doing all this telehealth stuff and like all that. But we share the same haircut, the same background. (laughs) But when I saw you did a piece in Stat News about uh, black physicians and black patients and how we ought to customize our care, right? Based on people's backgrounds. I was like, oh, now that's interesting. Cause we need to come down, get down with Brown and start to (laughs) clown about this stuff on the show. Cause nobody talks openly about this stuff properly without like all the weird wokeness versus all the like discomfort. So, I mean, Man, first of all, dude, it's been a minute, right?
1: It's been a too long. It's been too long, and we've had two years of um, you know, of an extreme uh, lockdown and isolation. So this is super fun to be here in person with you. We're, you know, luckily, we're on the safer side of Omicron now right now, right? The yeah, case reduction, I think is seventy five percent down. Um, you know, so this is fantastic to actually get out of the house and, uh, connect with an old friend and reminisce a little bit about, yeah, we have that shared background, man, which is great. We left, you left out Berkeley. We cannot leave out, uh, that Cal I, connection. I forgot Absolutely. you were in so, Cal
0: Bear, dude. Yeah. Go Bears. Yeah.
1: And we were the same year, I think, or maybe, maybe a year off there. I think even. I was class
0: of 94 or something.
1: Okay. Me, me too. Oh, sweet.
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I know. See, but I was a gunner, dude. I I graduated in three years. Yeah, you so were I not. entered in 9-1. Oh my goodness. I entered the you know like in the in the era of Did Snoop really? Dogg. Yes. Wow. We were both in the era.
1: of Snoop. How about that? Super. I Bowl? was impressed with my ending in four years, but in three, that's super impressive. You know what? Four yeah, is good. You yeah, probably did a yeah, triple was, major, yeah, though. I, I know you. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. Uh, English and ethnic studies, but what? it wasn't ethnic study. Uh, yeah, I was on. I was on this back then. I was on this train. Yeah. back in college, Berkeley had some great classes to offer, and I did a minor in ethnic studies uh, while I was there. So, oh, so you're uh, like uh, yeah. you're actually. So I, when you asked me about Snoop Dogg, it's like yes, I've been studying. You know, the 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 Chronic, uh, Dre. <laughs> Snoop, uh, Ice Cube, Predator. Uh, you're, you're, you're hitting right at the, the heart and soul. Yes, I'm, I'm telling you, you're speaking my language, because
0: when you turn like uh, gangster rap from the 90s into like a thesis, yeah. that's when the game is to be told yeah. not to be sold. Like, you just take it and reverse it. Fantastic. Look, yes, according to Tupac et al. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. If, if we, yeah, if we could find a reference or two, that would be, that would be fantastic yeah. Oh, yeah. Ibbid. today. Ibbid. yeah, Ibid,
0: Ibid, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Snoop Dogg Ibid. Yeah. Man. So, so You're I right. didn't, I didn't know you did ethnic studies as a minor. That's awesome. I did. You know, the, Berkeley had all these different things to
1: offer. I think San, San Francisco State might've had the first ethnic studies department. Wow. So they don't get always get credit for that. Cause I think Berkeley followed soon after and was like, that's a good idea. Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. something we could teach. Um, but actually, um, I think they realized and opened up my eyes to the complexity of like, so, I, so I was using terms in college, such as European Americans, right? Cause I'm trying to properly describe and I, and a lot of my friends were like, who, you, who you, who's Don't you mean about? Whitey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm American. And I'm like, well, yeah, I am too, you know, but, but I started using some of these terminologies because, um, it just, it just kind of made sense to me. I'm learning, right? I'm learning about yeah, yeah. this. This um multicultural, multi ethnic background that I have, as well as, yeah, lots of my classmates and and buddies and teammates at Berkeley. So that's F- a good conversations.
0: Man, dude, I remember those days. So we totally yeah. overlap. And there was like oh, oh. I, dude. Well,
1: do you remember what was going on campus around so ninety to ninety-four, do you remember Professor Sarich? Anthropology department. That was the professor that would talk about cranial sizes and the brain and phrenology. Yeah, African brains were smaller, and that's why uh, you know. Man. And and it was all being turned into an anti-affirmative action um, argument, which was that argument was peaking when when we were when we were at Cal.
0: You know what's interesting? I I remember that. I remember Duisberg too, who was the HIV denialist. Was there when we were there?
1: Tenure. Tenure, tenure, tenure,
0: tenure. Now here's the thing though. <laughs> I actually love the fact that those guys could say crazy shit yeah. and it was okay. Like, in other words, they didn't yeah. get fired, but people would be like, they would have yeah. the outrage. That's fine. Yeah. But they, they, they didn't get deplatformed, you know? It's kind yeah, of- Yeah, that's true. That's a big difference from now. Right? I mean, they did not know the
1: the free speech movement, the the birth of the free speech movement Berkeley. being at Berkeley, they stood by those professors who were tenured. They could say what they wanted. Um, I mean, if you think about it in the, Grand Scope, 20, 30 years later, uh, you know, we look back and I think you could say like, they, you know, that was why it was such a great place because people could could bring in some pretty extreme or wild ideas, but there was a discourse. They could have a conversation. Yeah. I think that's getting harder to
0: do. It's hard, it's more yeah. than hard to do. That's why I yeah. wanted to have you on too, because the kind of things you're bringing up, like I just did a show with Coleman Hughes, who's, yeah, yeah young yeah. black intellectual, yeah. and he has a very different intuition about some of these issues. And so it's fun to kind of get all these ideas and say, okay, well, where, where? let's try to find truth because everything's a little true, but partial, right? Like this yeah. idea that I have on the show of the alt middle, like the yeah. radical place where you can actually see all views and go, okay, well, what is, where is truth? There's a little bit everywhere. Yeah, so for sure. r- remind, well, tell the audience, cause they don't know, what is your ethnic background?
1: Oh yeah, sure. Um, so I definitely grew up black is what I would say. Uh, that's a racial designation, but- um, So did but I. It, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a culture. Yeah, yeah, no, I did yeah, not grow up yeah, black. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> well, it's easy, you know. The, the, the grouping in Fresno is a little more <laughs> that, generous at times. It is uh, generous, times. Yeah. But, um, No, I mean, I, so, but my dad was from Trinidad. So my dad was born in Trinidad. He was an immigrant to the United States, came to, went to Howard University, yeah. uh, which is a historically black college and university on the East Coast in DC. Um, but his dad was from China his mom was part chinese part black um african um venezuelan i mean so and venezuelans already like that's pretty yeah, multi ethnic yeah so so um so all of this and and, and all of this maps out on my on my 23 uh, and me uh, uh thing which is pretty interesting the one thing that surprised me on that was you yeah, know 20% european uh, descent northwest european and i I would have guessed that was like five percent or something, and and yeah. that I was twenty percent Native American, but it actually is like it was.
0: It, it was inverted. Yeah. So how how did your dad sort of self-identify? He did he identify as black? Definitely as Caribbean. Caribbean. And um yeah, and as black, but but
1: also didn't deny. I mean, he also was like you know Chinese too. Yeah. I mean, he was Chinese uh, Trini, uh, we would say, you know, because there's a whole mixing of the food and the culture and the music in Trinidad that is. In a way, uh, you know, a little advanced, I would say, because people just live together there, um, so it's very common to have, yeah, you know, and they have different name nicknames for each other that I won't use because who knows where they came from? Yeah, yeah right. they, they may not be appropriate, but uh, but right. but you know, but you have a guy from South you know, like South Asian, Syrians, Middle Eastern people, um, yeah, you know, um, people of European descent, African descent, uh, Chinese. Um, and they're all, you know, and they all—they all sound the same, actually. Though they all talk the same, they all have that same accent. Right. Um, love the same food, the same music, and and everything else. But but in the house, the food that we would eat, you know, was a mixture of of traditional American dishes, uh, soul food, but uh, Chinese food too.
0: Damn, dude! Yeah, like, yeah. Damn. So I got to say that brings me back to my Berkeley minor, which was yeah. music, <clears throat> oh, yeah, and I forgot that. and I studied ethnomusicology. That was my sub-emphasis in music because wow. it was either that or do performance. And I sucked. Like I was playing guitar, I was like a <laughs> I think you found some uh, performance. Uh, you
1: know, some yeah, performance I ended up re- integrating it. I ended <laughs> up integrating
0: it kind of like <clears throat> Trinidad itself. It was a melting pot of different, but right. but what was interesting is I, I took a course called Music of the Car- Caribbean, which, oh, which was okay. like Pirates of the Caribbean minus Johnny Depp, <laughs> but with a lot of like, like when you talk yeah. about Trinidad, you talk about you talk about steel drums, you talk about the influence of Santeria Sorry. and different animistic religious traditions from Africa. You talk yeah. about the influence of the polyrhythms of, of Latin and African music, yeah. and it all synthesizes. And yeah. our grad student was this like French white lady, hmm. but she had, you could feel Feel like that cultural energy coming off her because she spent her whole like yeah. uh, uh, professional career in in those islands like Saint well, Lucia. Well, I wonder if she
1: wasn't also affiliated, yeah, with any of like the French colonies earlier, or that like, were wonder. Prior or French Guyana or, Brit- or British Guyana. That would be, I, yeah, I didn't have that professor, but that that sounds amazing. Man, yeah, that's awesome. Amazing course, that is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, and all other things like like want to make it connected to uh, Dre and Snoop, of course. Why not? We can why, do that. I mean, the Nine Trize. <laughs> <laughs> we should do it. So um, you know, like calypso music and soca music had it had a speaking component to it so the albums that i grew up listening to there were like um you know albums of calypso where these guys are actually just speaking over some music but they're just speaking over the music and telling stories or telling jokes or telling lies and so i remember my dad playing these and then rap comes on and i'm like oh yeah i was like oh that that you know so i always love when i hear a a hip hop group or, um, you know, coming through with like, with something that's like, like Tribe Called, like when Tribe Tribe came on or Fuji's, I was like, oh, these these guys are connected. Like you could hear
0: the islands coming through man that's for sure. nuts yeah. well, you know it like dance hall music same kind of uh, yeah. same kind of vibe <laughs> yeah. I yeah. can't do it and it's racist if I try but I just yes. did yeah we will um, we'll pass you on that one uh, thank yes. you thank you I get a I get a Caribbean oh, yeah. island pass for like a minute but but yeah. yeah that whole idea that these are are like this idea of cultural appropriation is interesting like yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about that because all culture is appropriating from everywhere yeah and the idea is that like what what do you do with it like do you emerge a new creative or is it is it something is there a hole in the universe that's created where something new is coming out, you know? Right.
1: Well, I think sometimes when people do that, like you just did with the accent and I I like to do that as well, but I've learned like, okay, but I, you know, not everybody knows why I'm doing it or what, but to me, it's like, I'm usually celebrating, I'm trying to celebrate Celebrate. that culture if I'm doing that. Yeah. And I'm mimicking it it at times because I'm like, that just sounded so cool. Yeah. And there's a really cool ad that came on, maybe it was with the last Olympics that I was, remarking that to my daughter. And I was like, that sounded so cool. And I started in my English American accent and I ended it in this like sounding more like Brazil, like this was I think a woman probably in Brazil. She's like a skateboarder. And she said something, I forgot what what was the quote. It was something like, you don't have to be amazing to start, but you have to start to be amazing. Ah. and I and I was like, that is such a <clears> cool <throat> message. So I repeated it anyway. But my daughter, but my daughter still called me out. I was like, no, I mean, I'm, I am like literally celebrating as like, I just said that is the coolest thing ever.
0: You know, my yeah, kids do so, the same thing because yeah. I do accents all day long, and it's yeah. celebratory. It's never yeah. like, oh, I'm doing this to make fun of somebody or something. Yeah. You know, like back in the day when we were uh, residents. I I had a pretty killer Filipina nurse accent, yeah. and it was always a <laughs> yeah. tribute because they were like the night, like yeah, just best. the yeah. best. And so, you know, <clears throat> the whole like you know bed five is a blaze, you know like <laughs> you mean they have a fever? Yeah. No, they're literally a blaze. Yeah, <laughs> they, smoking with the otu, and I, I did that in a in yeah. a video. Yeah. <clears throat> and what's interesting is, a bunch of white people called me out. They're like, you're racist. You yeah. can't do accents like that. Yeah. Bunch of Filipina nurses. Yeah. Emailed me and they're like, dude, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that was pretty good. That's so again, spot on. People yeah, yeah. can tell when you're celebrating, and yeah. people can tell when you're not. It's in yeah. fact that's easier to tell when yeah. you're not. Yeah, right? yeah. And I think sometimes we we might take a little license when we
1: are people of color, which you you are. That's right. You that's see the yourself other thing. as that. I mean, yeah. you start out by asking me. I mean, I think the same. Like, so you, you know, we are. You have this um, humility of you know you. That's part of you. You laugh at yourself, so you you know you you will laugh you know alongside with. Um, uh, you know, yeah, other people of
0: color too. And that's a good point. Like, could a white person do that in today's culture without yeah. getting a lot of crap? It'd be
1: a lot harder. And I think <clears throat> they'd have to caveat it and so on. But I think, but, you know, but I would, but I would have, you know, in the past, I would have certainly said, I, yeah, I'm, that, that's funny. If what they're saying is funny and I feel like it's coming from a place of, of love, love yeah. I'm not necessarily offended. Right, 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 um, right. But it gets, but I think it. we've seen where, even the most innocent intended comments, sometimes or or things can sometimes you know work their way into being offensive to someone because that person does not know you you know like, yeah. they don't know your friends they don't know that you know they don't and so they're uncomfortable by it cause, and so and so they're a, a bit offended maybe for yeah, the, the 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 group that's a subject matter you know or the target of that of that comment or so on. so yeah it's
0: yeah. so <clears throat> it's so hard because we don't really assume good intent anymore we assume. Yeah. Now, yeah, so this yeah, brings me back to our Stanford good. days, right? Now, because yeah. um, you're an internal medicine doc like me, we train together, we have those mm-hmm. memories, man. And, and that itself is a crucible, right? Yeah. And sure. it, was a, <clears throat> it was a reasonably diverse group, but it wasn't a whole bunch of black folks. No. And that persists in medicine, right? Yeah, it does, yeah.
1: About 5%, uh, maybe four to 5% of the nation's doctors are black
0: and what's the populational percentage of blacks? uh
1: it, you know it's in the teens right so it's yeah so like 12% 13% something like that um so you are you're looking at a very underrepresented group within the healthcare professions
0: yeah severely underrepresented
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: and that itself is probably a multifactorial thing but yeah. we will dive into some of the the unconscious and conscious biases that happen in your yeah. own lived experience because yeah. that's what struck me just reading through the, between the lines of your stat op ed. Yeah, I'm like yeah, something yeah. happened here. Like,
1: yeah, I mean, no, I'm happy to talk about it. I think it's an important thing to to for people to know because you know um, I had the opportunity of being involved in health education, right? I have been around numerous training programs, medical schools. I've been able to um, to have conversations with uh, residency directors and so on. And so, you know, what I learned in within one case specifically was a really you know really highly respected program. Um, that anyone would want to go to. Anyone, you know, and, and it's based in California, right? So I want to get to California and I want to learn medicine and I want to learn that from a great place and great teachers. And the people in that program, I know them. I know they are fantastic people. They are um, caring individuals, um, you know, just uh, dedicated their careers to education. And they do not have, um, um, you know, a, a mean bone in their body, so to speak. However, mm-hmm. um, I came across uh, something that I came to realize – in the program um, that I was discussing, where um, it came up where a letter was written for a resident to get to a fellowship level. And, um, and in that letter, the, the letter says that that person went to um, a, a school that was a, a historically black university with a very similar name to the school that the student or the, the, the resident actually went to. Mm-hmm. So, so all the letters for this person were sent out saying they went to this school um, which shouldn't have been a negative count against them. But the reality was that's not where they went to school. Right. We, we, uh, that program had made an assumption that that individual went to that school because the names are so similar in there. um, But uh, but that was not the case. And so um, didn't end up hurting that individual. But when I learned this, I started asking a few more questions. And, I le- and I, so one of the questions I asked was, you know, as you said, I noticed when I look around, there's not a lot of black people. There's not a lot of people of color or Latinos. Um, or Latinx, um, you know? Do we ever? What you know? Do we get inter, inter, uh, applications from historically black colleges or universities? And the answer was yes, uh, yes, you get those, but we, uh, but but we don't offer them interviews. <clears throat> wow! Yeah. Just point blank like that. Point blank <laughs> like that. It was yeah. The explanation was well, we you know because I think my ex- expression was probably similar to yours of like, yeah, like why like, cómo yeah <laughs> yeah exactly like say it come again. Um, but yeah, it was just the, the, the response was, well, we can't read, you know, we can't read those applications. We don't, you know, just can't, can't make heads or tails of them. And so, and I was like, eh, and so, my, so then my response was like, what? but they're in English. Yeah. So, what? yeah, yeah. So that was a, that was, that was an eye opener. That was like one of those moments for me where I was like, okay, you can have great people, well, in, well-meaning and intended. However, this bias thing comes in and, um, and you know, and they might tell themselves, "Well, we're doing this because of a quality, you know, question." But that is that is it's discriminatory, um, and it is a huge bias. It, it reveals an and tremendous bias, and if it can happen at these top institutions, it can happen across the entire the entire system of health education. And that was when I was like, "Ooh, I got my work cut out for
0: me." Yeah. yeah. And then, now that's an overt bias. That's not like some implicit unconscious. I mean it may have yeah. be contributed to by that, but that's just like saying, hey, we're gonna exclude these schools because you know Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah that's right. It's it's I would say it's structural. It was structural and
0: systematic. Yeah. Uh, so absolutely. Distinguish that because this is something that I think there's a lot of argument over. And again, we're just trying to get ideas out there. Like yeah. you can disagree with these ideas, you can come yeah. at us in the comments and people will. Yes. Um sure. <laughs> and that's what we want. But we want to do it from a post-cynical standpoint, meaning assume that we're both good people and we're having a conversation. And if you disagree, paint your case, right? So what is this structural and systemic racism versus other types of racism?
1: Yeah, I mean, the systemic and structural part um, is something that I would say, you could go all the way back to the founding of this nation and probably start to tell that story if you Mm. wanted to. I mean, if you have an economic system or a social system that thrives or profits off of, the easily, you know, easily identifying a specific group, uh, right? Through and we'll say that through the lens of or filter of racism. Mm-hmm. Let, let's just say that has been a reality in this country since its birth. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you start to develop policies and and um, practices that protect that that structure, then you end up, you know, hundreds of years later with a pretty ingrained structural systemic system that excludes people from interviews or, uh, you know, in in certain higher, uh, you know, places of higher learning. Um, It may mean that uh, housing practices are different, Uh, so therefore, um, if you look in north, nor, you know the the northern hemisphere, the east side of most urban cities is the black part of town for those mm. cities, right? East St. Louis or East Palo Alto, and there's apparently there's a reason for that because of the wind patterns and the way that's you know the, that that um, that 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 um, the output from factories and so on, the way the wind blows, it it, it usually blows in this direction, and so therefore that's not where you want to you know that's not where you build the homes and the neighborhoods.
0: Wow, I yeah, have no idea. It,
1: there's there's that you know that is one that i've learned over like you know that's one of those ones that you might say like well maybe that's in the internet or maybe that one's not 100% real yeah. but when you start to look at it you 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 wonder if this is not systemic mm. something that i have definitely seen just, um another example of that is um you know temperatures so if you look across neighborhoods black traditional black neighborhoods versus white neighborhoods the temperatures of the pavement is different because of just the trees and the coverage and the uh, and the um the preservation of green spaces in different neighborhoods all of these types of things have been just done differently and treated differently in different neighborhoods.
0: That's fascinating. And how how much of that do you think is attributable to race specifically, yeah. versus how much of that is attributable to poverty, socioeconomic status, etc.?
1: I think it's I think it starts with race. There's, it starts. With race. I don't think there's any question in my in my mind. Um, if you think about it, um, where people you know the redlining and where people were allowed to buy homes or able to buy homes in the black community, um, very difficult for black families to build wealth or hand down generational wealth. Even though in there are instances in which they owned the prime real estate in an area, we even had a story that I saw here from a few months ago about North uh, Southern California. I'm not remembering the the beach community, but it's like Laguna Beach or it's just one of those places that you're like, oh, yeah, that's where you know, it's where everybody goes to to hang out and enjoy the beach, but that's land that was owned by a black family. and they actually just got they just actually got um, they're gonna get some sort of um compensation, I think, for for the fact that the land was. Taken from them systematically by the the, the local public government, um, and never um, you know never acknowledged, it and they were not paid
0: properly. Oh, and this was decades ago, right? Yeah. Oh, this, yeah. This is yes. But it. But but the <clears throat> the fallout of it continues because now it, it, the whole community is different. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, so
1: right. So right. And this has happened. I mean, I'm you know we can't cover all the probably all the examples of how this has happened over time, but. But you can look at Oakland, California, as a, which is the place my place of birth, and um, and I, you know which is has been a traditionally black city, um, you know, for many decades. But it is it's it's shifting now too because I think there's tremendous economic opportunity in the Bay Area, as we all know, and we may see that that um, you know that there 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 are forces afoot to try to go ahead and make changes in that in those areas as well.
0: So why wouldn't that economic opportunity apply to black people?
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's a good question. I think there's multi, multiple factors. So if you look at a traditional, let's just say by a zip code, right? Zip code in this country. So healthcare in this country, in this country, you can predict certain outcomes by a zip code. Definitely. That's a, that's a problem, right? Yeah. Now. More so uh,
0: than the, than their genetic code.
1: That's right. Yeah, Exactly. It's a stronger indicator. And so why is that? Well, we have, black, you know, zip codes that are, you know, predominantly people of color living in those zip codes or black people living in those zip codes. And so Um, So what does it mean to be in that zip code? Well, it might mean your educational opportunities are different. Mm. And those educational opportunities then relate into the kinds of jobs you can get, right? Mm. Uh, The the jobs that you might be able to um, attract or get interviews for. um, And that's going to impact your, your income level. And then your income level impacts what house you're able to buy or where you're able to buy. And so you can kind of start to see how there's a domino effect here, and I think um, you know there's a number of of scholars. The one that comes to mind is Rachel Hardeman at the University of Minnesota. Mm. She does a very nice. She's doing a ton of research in this area. Does a very nice job of describing, um, you know, how that how that single uh, point of isolation or exclusion from being able to buy homes in different neighborhoods uh, makes its way all the way through to a okay, you can't build wealth in this neighborhood, and then you end up with a a problem of maybe crime mm. or criminal justice issues. And then enforcement is not equal either in those areas. Mm. And so you so you can start to see how like, okay, if all these things are related, which I, I think we, I would say, I believe that they are, um, you can start to understand, I think our current picture a little
0: better. Man, so it, in other words, it's multifactorial, it's complex. There's structural elements, there's systemic elements, there's historical elements that have created a momentum or a lack thereof for the black community say that now trying to catch up is hard. Um, Then let's bring it to the present. Are there current, like, what do you think is the status of the current level of say, just overt bias and racism currently? Let's say if we started just right now, do you think it's gotten better? Do you think it?
1: Yeah, yeah, good. It's really, this is really, this is a great question. It's a really interesting time. Um, You know, right now I would say that it has, I think this has gotten better. Mm. Um, if you think pre-COVID and pre-murder of George Floyd, right? This is a murder of a black man that has t- that takes place at the hands of the, the police force, our law enforcement. Um, but it's on. It's in broad daylight in front of everyone. I would say that um, that that gave us an opportunity to have a discussion, mm. and um, and so that's why we're having this this conversation today. But for as many people that were planning, like that, have known that that conversation needed to happen, and and I'm speaking specifically in the Black community, I think a lot of them were saying, "But I wasn't, but I would have liked to pick the timing of when we were going to have that conversation, <laughs>
0: <laughs> instead um, of after something like that." Yeah, happens, right. right yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. There's a, there's ways to get there. Uh, so this is not the way that any of us would have chosen to, to get there. Certainly not the family of George Floyd, mm-hmm. but um, but I think many of us would say, "But we have a duty to to absolutely make ourselves better. Take it. You know, take that." tragic event and turn it into something positive for our in all of our communities and for our country and I think that is the getting better that's why I'm you know hopeful and aspirational for the what the future can be
0: but that's you know that's why I wanted to yeah
1: you know come and have this conversation with you to see if we're able to open some of that up
0: yeah 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 you know um your own path because you you're you're on the outer bell curve of that path, right? You yeah. are UC Berkeley, Stanford trained, yeah. like a uh, physician at the top levels of the healthcare industry now, like the very top chief medical officer, at a really big combined company of what Grand Rounds and uh, um, Doctors On Demand just merged and included health. And yeah. it's a big deal. Like yeah, every time yeah. I look at you, I'm, <laughs> I'm 70% incredibly jealous and 30% ravenously jealous. Um, <clears throat> So you managed well, you. to to succeed where others may have been much more challenged, but I imagine that the path has not been straight and easy for you. So no. maybe yeah. now's a good time to tell us a little bit about your own lived experience in this, because I think a lot of people, th- there, there's a lot of like debate, right? Like, well, yeah. it's a meritocracy America. So if you're yeah. just good at what you do, it doesn't matter what your race is, I don't see color. Yeah. Like it's just, that, by the way, that I don't see color thing, yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell, you, I'll tell you my take on this. People still say that, by they, the way. <laughs> they still do say that. And it's a way of, it's. I think it's a way, honestly, and I assume good intent, it's a way that like, I think people that are not of color want to say, listen, I'm not a racist at all. Right. I, I don't even wanna talk about that because honestly, frankly, unconsciously, it's kind of uncomfortable. Um, That's right. Let's just take that off the table yeah. and everybody's cool. I have a black friend. <laughs> <laughs> right. My one black friend is right here, guys. I, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and and I don't see color. Um, whereas, you know, as somebody who yeah. is off-white, yeah. uh, you know, of, of Indian <laughs> parents, uh, but they're yeah. Persian by descent, and grew up in the same area, which was an yeah. interesting area to grow up if you're not either white or Hispanic. Right. Um, but but the, the idea that I always see color. Yeah. as a flavoring or an yeah. attribute yeah. of what makes somebody unique. Absolutely. And I want to celebrate it by actually talking about it, but to do that makes people these days very
1: uncomfortable. It does, <laughs> but I see it the same way. It's a celebration, right? I mean this yeah. this is a differences are things that we need to find in one another and celebrate those. Uh, but we've made people so afraid to talk about them, specifically white people. I mean, European Americans specifically um, experience something called stereotype threat around discussions about race and ethnicity. Especially more so if they are out, you know, be, they become outnumbered in the room by, like, you know, the, the more people in the room that are people of color, the harder that conversation, and the more frightening that conversation would get. Oh,
0: so them. so stereotype threat. What is yeah. that? I haven't heard that term.
1: Okay. Oh, gosh, this is this is a really important thing for people to under to to learn about. Um, Claude Steele was the individual who. Who coined the term and and discovered this? He uh, looked at Stanford uh, undergrads who had similar um, uh, SAT scores, you know, admit college admissions test scores. I've, you know, it's going way back for me, but I think I it's know, SAT. Man. I yeah. think it's SAT. Yeah. It's there not, was an that, ACT involved it, it, at some point. Yeah, yeah, you can do it, at ACT or SAT. <laughs> um, but then they also looked at their GPA, and so they basically tried to match the students black and white, mm-hmm. and they told uh, uh, the students. Black or white, this test, uh, which I think were like GMAT questions or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of tricky questions said, this test has the ability to measure your intelligence. They told that to a cohort of black and white students. A cohort of black and white students, they said, this test actually has no no ability to measure your um, your intelligence, but they are just problem solving questions. Have fun. Go, go at it. What they saw was the black students that were told to measure their intelligence scored lower mm-hmm. than the black students that were told... That um, it was not a measure of intelligence. In fact, the black students that um, were told it's not a measure of intelligence scored you know on par with the white students. But the black students that were told it is a measure of the, a measure of their intelligence were not. And this and this is math. Um, just to to generalize this, it's a phenomenon that has been studied numerous times by numerous studies. Um, for women, it may be around mathematics. And so one of the studies they did there was what I just said was they changed the number of men in the room taking. Taking um, and solving really complex math questions, they took math majors who were men and women, put them in the room, and they just changed the ratio of the number of men in the room taking the the test with the women, and the women uh, scored slow, lower when on
0: there those, were more men, in, were more men in the they room. When there were more because they felt a- a potentially out of yeah. place, right? And the, and they yeah. did something
1: to remind them whether they were a woman. I mean, they, say, uh. they did a little reminder of like if you are, but I think on that one, I think they didn't say anything. I think they just changed Jeez, the ratio. That's all they and did. And by changing the ratio, the woman could could feel that. Um, and then they looked at with Asian women and if they reminded Asian women, if they were Asian versus whether being a woman, that was a fluct, like that changed their scores. Did it well. raise their basketball? So, so if you you perform better, if they remind you that you're
0: Asian before you take the test. So stereotypes positive and negative.
1: Yeah, but yeah. they, yeah, well they can't, they can't be. You can be, um, you know, generalizations, stereotypes can be, um, but they, but stereotype threat for sure is, harmful, right? That's the idea is that it usually is the the pure definition of, I believe is a negative stereotype that is, that is seen, that is in, um, that is in play in the context of your situation at the time. So uh, you were bringing up the example of me. So uh, a black man in higher learning or, or who's a assistant professor at a, at a, um, you know, well-respected medical school. And you're one of the only people like you there, like, yeah, there's stereotype threat that would be in play there. Wow. So when you because f- the stereotype is black male intelligence or black female intelligence that right. is why it is uh, it's a,
0: that's why it becomes comes across as a threat. That's hence the term stereotype, stereotype threat. threat. This yeah. is fascinating to me.
1: There's a great book on it Whistling Vivaldi. <laughs> I have I get no royalties for this. <laughs> um, but um, no it's a great book in Whistling Vivaldi um, that term it's really Claude Steele's story to tell and the University of Chicago student whose story is he would whistle classical music if he was walking past white people in Hyde Park in Chicago so that they would not be threatened. To disarm them. Yeah, to disarm them. Oh
0: my gosh. So when I mentioned uh, a white person being, what was it, uh, we were talking about it and you said, well, if they're outnumbered in the room, you said stereotype threat. How did that apply to the white person? Or were you talking about
1: it, it, uh, yeah, that's well that's so with the at the end of this book, Whistling Vivaldi, they start to get into how, you know, just how universal the experience of stereotype threat is. Mm. And so they brought in math and they brought it they bring in different examples that people have studied and and this is one that I believe was studied was for, for white individuals, just their feeling of um of level of comfort uh to discuss race and ethnicity. Interesting. So so white people have stereotype threat.
0: Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. And, and see, this makes sense because I think there's a problem we have in the discourse where yeah. white Europeans or whatever are vilified in a way that creates understandable psychological reactance to even talking about this stuff, right? I mean, wouldn't you be like, yeah. uh, I was born the way I'm born. Right, right. and you might yeah. say things
1: that you, and you might say things that you you don't even believe, but you say them because you're nervous. You are right. nervous, you mm-hmm. are intimidated, and you don't even know why, you know, and you start to fumble over, I mean, and we've, there's, very awkward moments. I'm sure YouTube has has them all over the place where people are trying to, you know, explain something and they just lose themselves in it because they feel it, you know, and they don't even know what it is. I mean, honestly, they're like, I don't know what's happening, but I feel feel tense and anxiety around this topic. And so I start to really handle it, you know, gingerly, or I just, you know, or I can't do it um, with authenticity. And then, um, yeah. And then
0: something comes out that's not authentic. Dude, that's exactly it. So what happens is people say stuff that you're just like, what is going on? Why are you so weird all of a sudden? Like, (laughs) and 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 you know, know, okay, this is so interesting. I mean, we could talk for four hours on this, but we we won't, but I'll I'll say this. (laughs) Part of the reason I wanted to talk to you about this stuff, which is typically very charged stuff, is Is that we go back. Like the authenticity between us is gonna be disarmed. But let's say I were having the conversation with like, somebody else that I barely know. Yeah. And let's say I was white or more white than I feel. Cause yeah. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, you know, people really think I'm white. And uh yeah. and that's you know what I don't don't think I don't consciously and unconsciously use that for advantage when I can. Yeah. And I don't for consciously sure. and unconsciously use the brownness for advantage when I can. I mean yeah. it's just been conditioned since youngness. Yeah. Just do what is it just navigate society. Yeah. It's really weird. So again, <laughs> yeah. I always I think about race in such in a kind of different way. But th- the idea that that discomfort yeah. is unconscious. You said it. They don't even really know what it is. That's right. That same discomfort that makes us feel uncomfortable around race is, is the result of this vibrating conditioning that's happening at structural levels and individual cultural levels, um, employment levels, HR levels, like the bureaucracy that now says, well, you, yeah. we need to take a, a particular type of training, and, and if you do it wrong, and, yeah. and this kind of tension. But then you, you also pointed out that in stereotype threat, people are in a room and there's this unconscious feeling that I'm not supposed to be here or I'm not good enough or whatever. And that's triggered by whatever the, the researchers decided to prime with. Yeah. That's not conscious either necessarily. No. So we're dealing with human beings who have these unconscious elephants that they're riding on yeah. that is conditioning. And so when people talk about, I don't see color this or that, and like, I don't think that's true. If I yeah. could actually plug into the matrix of your brain, <laughs> right. you're seeing color everywhere because humans do yeah. that. Right. But how are you... Dealing with it, is it conscious, unconscious? What's your processing? I'm curious what yeah. you
1: think. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is something that I am, um, I have had to learn just like you as a survival skill. I i have chosen, probably I think a lot of black people do this, which they choose to use humor to disarm it or to address. Uh-huh. So, it was, so that that's like an armoring up to be uh-huh. ready for the moment, right, and you learn that over the years of, well, I know I'm going into a, a scenario such as um, we're going to a tennis club. Let's just say that, right? I'm going. Oh, to, you're going, going to tennis. Excellent going to play a tennis. Yeah. And, you yeah how's Buffy with the um uh, <laughs> yeah, with her re-strung racket on the ball? <laughs> That's a trading places reference oh, for those, those. Great movie. <laughs> but um, but yeah, you know, so you so you armor up yourself and you think about like a, you know these are the scenarios I could potentially face. You do get ready for those, you know, and you. Know, but you hope that, like, you can be yourself and be authentic, and nobody throws that curveball at you, so that you can just not have to be on guard. Um, but there, are, but there's no question. You get you have to be ready for it, or you learn to be ready for it and and be responsive. And and that's, I would say, a necessary survival skill. It's not something that I would say uh, that I thought about that much it's you learn it like you said it's like it's who you are so especially in Fresno California it has very unique ways of teaching you very quickly you know how the world sees you and um but um but you develop you know I think some 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 really important communication skills survival skills and so for me I either took the like kind of up yours Jobu um you know approach of like well I'll give you the finger on that one because you have no like there's you're not salvageable and you're not trying to connect with me you're literally just hating on De- deplorable. me deplorable yeah, yeah deplorable behavior right. that that has a, an appropriate level of response um and it you know and it could and it does you know and it might mean you know that you need to step step up to somebody at times to to flex but i've never had to you know, uh, maybe only once did I ever get into, like, something that was physical over over that. Mm. Um, but because uh, humor was just a much smarter way. And let's face it, if somebody's going to jail for that, it's probably going to, you know, it's probably going to be me, the guy, uh, the black guy in that yeah. inter- interaction, at least yeah. where I grew up. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, I'd probably have a, you know, a much higher percentage chance of of, um, of being the person who gets in trouble for it. And and so, again, it's not all about being incarcerated. But there I always said, like, yeah, you know, you learn quickly, too, there where like, if you fight back in a certain way, that... That scares. That might be really scary. Some people, and you're the one who gets in trouble. Um, but you were the target uh, initially of the of the aggressions. That's so.
0: giving me stress just hearing you <laughs> talk about it. Seriously, like it, oh, yeah, it, mean, my cortisol goes up, and and, yeah, I, and, well, and you're living a whole life with that kind of consideration, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, there, and there's a name for that because it does. So to your and if if this is the point you're trying to make, I mean it, it it does build up. So my personal experience with that is I'm I have um gotten to have a lot of success and been very you know. Um, um, you know, I've been very fortunate in my life for sure. But I've also worked hard, you know, to to get yeah, where I am. And exactly. I and I've made this other people's discomfort or awkwardness. I've done a lot of work to make that better for them and OK for them. Like, ah, So you're trying to help them. I'm trying. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. let me help you help me is 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 is, <laughs> right, is, right, right. is really the the so way, right, to equate, good is, way to look yeah, at it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm I don't want I'm not looking for a uh, you know, an award and I'm not trying to be an ethnic entrepreneur or whatever. You know, it's just, it's just, this is just my survival skills have been like, look, I, for me to survive, I need you to be okay with me. Yeah. Right. I need to not be a threat to you. Yeah. And that can feel, um, like a burden. But for me, for the most part, I would say it did not feel that way because I probably found humor as the release, right. Punchlines help you get through that. I think Dave Chappelle has a cool quote on that. He's like, I have to make it a punchline. He's like, that's sad. He's like, but Hey. He's not doing poorly by that, by the way. Dave right. Chappelle may have made a lot of money. Work for day for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. seems to be working for him. Right. Um, but uh, but over time, you know, that has a name. I mean, that's biological weathering, is what's happening. Going biological on. weathering. Yeah. You know, you're you know, your um, the little drip of water that just you know that occurs. Uh, you know um over years ends up you know can wear itself you know into any hard you know into a rock if it you know if it it's if it's a really hard surface, a really strong surface. But over time, um, that constant beating uh, is is going to um, is cont- is going to leave some weathering on that individual for sure. Um, I'm, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I'll, this is where I'll probably start to get uncomfortable. Be like, well, I, do I want to get, you know, how much do you want to open up uh, about my own journey there? But um, but no, but I've seen it. I mean, I mean, I've been I have been approached by KKK, you know, members of the KKK, or at least people that had cards that said KKK on them. They um, have my, cards. And my friends have been. Like, one of my friends in high school had a Confederate flag that he put on his on his, uh, you know, his big wheeled. Uh, what do we used to call those? The, oh, the four wheel drive monster truck. Monster, thing? monster truck. Yeah. Monster truck.
0: Raised. Yeah, the raised. Yeah, yes, yes. he had a lift
1: kit. I mean, it was. Hey man, Fresno.
0: There were tons. I of mean, this
1: is like you yeah. know cultural upbringing, you know, cultural yep. immersion for me. Yep. Um, but he had that flag, and so we were followed one night. I, the car was up high enough; this guy couldn't see everyone in the car, and I was in the back seat, uh-huh. so he couldn't see me. So, but he gives my friend a card that says KKK and says, you know what that flag's about? You should check us out. You should give us a call. You might like to be in our organization. Wow. And this is like, you know, this is just outside of, this is on Clinton Avenue, uh, turn off in Clinton in 99.
0: Oh, I know that area. You know that? Okay. Yeah. So,
1: um, but it was happening on the other side of town in in Clovis as well, you know, where there was rallies every year um, there. So, but that, so those are the obvious examples. But for me, so I certainly saw that, but I, but yeah, no, I there was um, even one instance when I was um, a freshman in high school, and we, you know, party broke up, and so we were at the the Johnny Quick or 7-Eleven or whatever it's called, and um, and there was a group of students over there, and the guy I was with a junior, he was driving, so he goes and he's like, I'm gonna get some cigarettes, so he goes to get cigarettes, so he's walking over there, and these people notice me because I got out of the car to stand up or whatever, and they uh, and they just started, yeah, it started, man. They were just starting to yell, and it was a group of them, really, and they were just kind of working themselves up, you know, and started to get more animated. So he never even made it into the store. He like literally like, like just just kept walking and just did a, like a 180 on his, on his, on a ball of his, balls of his, uh, you know, of his, of his foot there. And we got out of there super, super wow. as quick as we could. So yeah, so those are, those are the big obvious ones. You know, people throwing the N word with anger and then starting to, you know, you know, tell you to get out of here and then throwing, you know, throwing uh, their soda cans or whatever. I, I didn't look to see what they were drinking, but uh, you know, but. <laughs> You're like, okay, this is probably not a good situation. This is not one where you want to be at 14, um, you know, growing up.
0: And that that's that's like wiring your cortisol responses and it's wiring yeah. your epinephrine resp- I mean it's <laughs> it's wiring that, hardwiring that. Yeah. And then we ask the question, why is it that black people have higher rates of hypertension and heart yeah. disease and stroke? Yeah. Yeah. And, and 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 you know, can you separate out the genetic differences? Whatever they are, yeah. from the biological weathering, the cultural immersion in that.
1: I don't think so, but we, but we could use data to convince ourselves that these are things that you know. Oh, black, you know, members of the black community, have, you know, are being killed by diabetes, and it's, and it's because all these things that they are doing, you know, and it's like, well. That that you know, it's easy to come to that conclusion, but you know, but if you you know, I would like for people to understand that it's not all them that you know, it's not all that they're doing, and um, you know, as a society, we have we have stacked the deck uh, in um, in many ways against them, and that's what these social determinants of health are. Yeah. Right? We make people's transportation to healthcare and education and so on more difficult if they're in the black community. Um, you know, their ability to find nutrition you know nutrition. I mean, just just a, eating a balanced diet that's not as easy. Um, I lived in, with my family in East Palo Alto for a number of years, and there was not a full-service grocery store in East Palo Alto for like decades. And you people, know?
0: people who don't know, they think Palo Alto, fancy Silicon Valley. East Palo Alto is one of was one of the poorest, most dangerous, yeah. for, in terms of homicides and things. Places, murder and, capital, and murder of, capital of, of
1: California, at least if not the country at yeah. one point. And so you were living there with your family. I did. Yeah, I lived yeah. there with my yeah, for my with my own kids. Um, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah, man. I, uh, yeah, I got a good, I got a good deal on that. You know, you my, yeah, might my, my, my guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a place where I was like, I can live here. You know, I'm not afraid of this, and yeah. I understand how to state how to be, how to be safe. I was just not. I wasn't threatened by it actually. I just thought, yeah. you know, like this is. I don't believe what the what the the media what, what the is saying media says about, about it. it. Yeah, because right. I know these people, and so that's. So it was.
0: Um, yeah. So anyway, so yeah, so I was able man. to find an affordable place. You know. <laughs> on see, the even, <laughs> even the stereotyping that just happened yeah. right east palo alto like i was like yeah. east palo alto you live yeah, in east that's palo alto. the association right that's yeah, right. that's
1: the association that we're taught and that and that's true of so many different neighborhoods absolutely yeah we were like oh you don't you yeah, know, you don't you know i asked people that my friends of mine that grew up in palo alto right oh you grew up here yeah where do you live i live in east palo alto and you can kind of see it on their faces like yeah they're just like hum? you want to you, your kids want to come over after school they're like yeah uh, why don't you come, <laughs> over to our, come over to our house come over to our house you know? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, but do you, do you go to Ikea in East Palo Alto? Like, oh yeah, yeah all yeah. the time. Oh but, yeah. Cause, Cause that's where I live that, that, right there. That,
0: it's right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know exactly where you live, you, you know, or, or lived that. that it, yeah. They're just like, man, they're going to do a drive-by in their three wheel, man. <laughs> one yeah. of those, Did you ever have one of those three wheels with oh, the yeah, plastic? The big, the big wheel. Yeah. Yes, yeah. The big wheel. Course. That's what it was. The yeah, big yeah. wheel. I had so many of those, that back wheel would get burned through though. Cause that's where the that. brake was. Yeah. And you just be like, damn dude, you can't, you can't, it, replace it. It's like made of plastic. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Back to this. Now, talk about using humor. I mean, it's uncomfortable stuff. It is. Yeah. It can be hard to and, talk about. Yeah. And take
1: it on. And my and I'm in a multi ethnic household. Right. My wife is Caucasian. We are. You know. We are. We are raising multi ethnic kids. Right. And so they are. So that's what I meant or what I was talking about when I was saying. Well, the timing of this discussion was not. You know, I did not determine that. But yeah. but it actually has been a, a silver lining. Has been to actually have these conversations at our dinner table and. You know, we've been through a lot to you know to, to learn from one another and um you know, we celebrated Kwanzaa as a family. Wow. Uh yeah, for the first time. That was not a celebration that my family engaged in, but um, but my daughter, my oldest daughter really wanted to do it and I was like, Let's it. How, how old Let's is she? Uh, sixteen. She's about to be turned sixteen.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, you know, around our table too, we're multi ethnic as well. My yeah. wife is Chinese and the kids are, you know, hapa, as they say in uh, yeah. Hawaii. <laughs> and yeah. um we, we have a lot of conversations about race it's interesting because I want yeah. them to be able to openly talk about these things yeah. in, from a place of love right yeah and exactly. uh it's, exactly it, and they have a great frame of reference when they have that not just having the
1: multi-ethnicity themselves and their backgrounds but they but and also through people they love which are their grandparents
0: right right
1: but then they but but to be able to have parents that can have the conversation with them I that's the thing that I wish for every um every uh, homogeneous household, you know, almost every homogeneous heterosexual white household in the country, <laughs> it was like, I'm wishing you a, you know, I, uh, you know, I have a prescription, you know, it's, it's pull someone into your house and invite them to your dinner table that it doesn't look like you and yeah. it has that multi-ethnicity because you'll get a, such a different perspective, you know, I think, and um, and talk about something, talk about something that is happening in our country because you'll just understand that there's really different perspectives going on here.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah,
1: yeah. you know, and that goes both
0: ways too. Right? Yeah, Yeah. Because um, I know like, you know, I came out of the Bay Area. I was in this like liberal bubble for a long time and moved to Vegas for eight years and traveled around the country doing performances and talks and stuff. And most of my gigs were like in places like, you know, rural parts of Texas and Idaho and the sort of, you know, central states. Yeah. And what I found was like, oh, these, the people that, in my bubble were stereotyped as like, you know, backward, super conservative, racist, like, you know, what homophobes. Yeah. They were wonderful, lovely, community-oriented, yeah. caring, open people. And I was like, oh, I was, I, dude, I'm never gonna believe anything I hear until I see it and feel yeah. it with, my, with myself. Yeah. Again. Yeah. I think and, and it's the right. same. It's exactly what you're saying. I think
1: that's it. I mm. think that's great. I think it's the right way to do it. And um, and you have to have a little bit, extend a little bit of grace to those individuals because if they, you know, they could not always control their own conditioning, they could not control yeah, yeah. their own learning, or even their frame of reference. And I I have friends who would say that, well, I, I've actually really not interacted with black people actually. Yeah. Still today, some of them will say like, well, actually, you know, Ian, you're the first person that it's like black that i've actually really like known at this level you yeah know, like, that i know that you know you talk about your where you went to school and who your family is and and um and we've talked about you know we've talked about politics or something else like that you know something important you know that we've had a conversation they they have not ha- heard that voice and they have not gotten that perspective and i and that's that's probably at the root of a lot of our problem here being able to to bridge the gap
0: yeah, it really is. You said something too, and we will get into the medicine part of this, but yeah, you said something about um, conditioning. Yeah, and and wh- you know how much of this is people's fault, and how much of this is like who we how we're raised, and, and this yeah. is where I get a little frustrated with the left sometimes. The <clears throat> the classic teaching on the left is you're a product of your environment and yeah. you know, things beyond your control. And therefore, you know, as a society, we should try to lift you up. But what we find now is in the sort of world we're in, whether it's COVID and like shaming people who haven't been vaccinated or whatever, like, oh, I'm, you know, that guy died, but he didn't get vaccinated. So, you know, there's this barely concealed like mm, we're smarter than you. Yeah. And and not thinking like, oh, there's probably a reason the guy didn't get vaccinated. Like all this conditioning, all this exposure to different things, and and now this person is dead. And the other thing is, um with uh, people who are, have not had the experience, you know, oh, that guy's just a racist beyond hope. He's, you know, in the basket of deplorables or whatever. And, yeah. and it's kind of, and there are, like you said, there are those yeah. people, there yeah, are. Out there. But to paint it with the broad brush is very un unclassically liberal. So it's kind of like, we all need to kind of look inside and go, wow, we need a little more love and, and understand, like connection.
1: Yeah, I think we, yeah. I mean, I think it's really lots of, a mistake that I probably made early in my life was like, oh, I will try to educate you. Uh, Let me just educate you because I and I think that's also a liberal trait. It bro, is a liberal right? trait. Right? Just, yeah. like, totally we're, like, liberal we're very for
0: disagreeable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we like to. I'll just tell you what's up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I know. I know. I went to. I went to college. I went to medical school. Like you right. know, I, I know better, right? I, right. I can tell you. Um, but I but I also when I think about like how I treat patients, I've learned that, yeah, just telling people that smoking's bad for them is, and educating them about smoking is not the only way to do it, right? Like you there's better ways for us to do it and i I've definitely started to become a fan of like thinking like economically and financially, how do we create business uh, differentiation that actually rewards the people that have uh, you know, they're gonna provide culturally concordant experiences or culturally competent experiences. Ah. I think there's a way for us to, it's a i think it'll be a more effective way to get to the goal that we want um but yeah the liberal approach of just treat, teaching you you know and then you'll see the error of your ways and you will learn yourself into wokeness, wokeness. is <laughs> not gonna happen yeah like we we've tried that for a long time and it's just not gonna
0: yeah happen. and you know the, you know there are cultural re-education camps in China that tried that it doesn't it doesn't work uh yeah, okay. there, there's there's a way to do this yeah. out of love and 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 the truth is you know, so so back to that, this idea that we can actually subvert the apparatus of capitalism to actually have systems yeah. emerge that are more like what we want. I yeah. recently had a guy on the show, Daniel Schmachtenberger, who studies civilizations and civilization level th- threats and risk. Yeah. And he said, you know, right now we have, we have a culture, a social media apparatus, big tech and governments like China. So you either have the autocratic top-down control or you have the big tech is running everything and the algorithms are hijacking our limbic system. It's a race (laughs) to the bottom of the brainstem and we all hate each other because those guys get paid when we hate each other because more ad revenue, more clicks, more likes, dislikes, et cetera. And he said, that's gonna emerge a civilization that we don't like. Yeah. So, what if we actually redesigned those incentives and systems like you just described to actually emerge a civilization that we all could get behind? Like, yeah. Except for that one KKK guy that you were talking about <laughs> and that group of guys. Like, yeah. the, most people would be like, you know, it'd be really cool if the races kind of got along better. Yeah. And we all were happier and, yeah, and yeah. more cohesive, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. No, I love that. That's actually a great, um, you know, a great way. I, I love that, that you had that conversation with him because the opportunities are there. You know, we just have to. We just needed to, if you think about just what's happened with um since George Floyd during if COVID doesn't happen I don't think you have George Floyd. The country had to stop. The NHL playoffs weren't on. You know, whatever whatever would have been going on in the country. Division. Give gave people a moment to take a step back. Right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then they saw this happen um and I think that's yeah, so this is an opportunity that we should not waste to be able to have these conversations and bring, you know, bring yeah, it Yeah, I
0: agree. So so medicine because yeah, this is where it's interesting now. <clears throat> you are both a doctor and a patient, I imagine. Yeah like everybody is. Yes, and I am. <laughs> so, your experience, maybe we can start with your experience and if yeah. whatever you want to talk about. Yeah. In terms of your experience as a patient being black, yeah. do you feel like you're treated differently? Have there been interesting things that have come up that then have informed your thinking on this. Yeah, well, this is one of those things where you walk in and every doctor who's a patient actually wonders,
1: at what point do I tell them I'm a doctor? Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> when do I drop that bomb? Because yeah. then things
0: get ugly. Exactly. Then it's like, the nurses treat you weird, Yeah. the doctors treat when you When do weird. I want my care to get worse, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, when is it safe to allow tr- my care? It, you know what, and yeah. that's not even a joke. No. There's I that VIP syndrome is a real thing. It happens to, that's why doctors always say, I don't know why doctors just get so sick and they have the worst things happen to them because they're treated like doctors. <laughs> like everybody's like, oh, I don't know if I wanna.
1: Yeah, they get yeah. like people get nervous. No, I mean, um, to, to direct to answer your direct question, um, yeah, as a black male in this country, with if you don't know what's in my, you know, if you don't know where I've been, what I've been trained in, and I don't, you know, know that I'm a doctor, and and you, and you don't maybe, you know, you could make assumptions about how it's best to talk to me, and which and what what things might already be causing my health conditions, mm. right? Um and so you could easily jump to certain conclusions. We're taught we're really trained to, to think that way. Right? Yeah. In I fact, mean, it's a heuristic. It's a it's shorthand. A yeah. Exactly. You and have it, to do it when you
0: have thirty patients a day. Yeah.
1: That's right. Yeah. yeah. And it, and it's an efficiency, right? So it, it does allow you to, to get through those patients and and you probably are right a good percentage of the time, maybe, or you're on or you're you know, or it allows you to ask informed questions to, to get there quicker. Right. But um but no, I've you know, I had one instance where I, you know, I did have a doctor and I, you know, we were um, it was just a few years ago, and unfortunately, I needed to, to follow up outpatient after a hospitalization. I actually had a hospitalization, and so I'm trying to communicate with my doctor, and the system is making that difficult. And uh, so I had to wait two weeks to go see my doctor. So I had waited the two weeks. I come into the office, um, but I had I had I had communicated with my doctor on the portal. So I get in, and the first thing my doctor says, you know, is. Um, so just, I gotta start out and, and reprimand, you know, she's like, and I gotta let you know, you know, that that question was too important of a question to ask through the portal kind of thing. And of course I had called her first and I had done, you know, <clears throat> uh, but but it was just interesting to me that she would start off. By
0: like, reprimanding you.
1: Yeah, like, it's not like, oh yeah, yeah, that was a big deal you went through. You know, you were hot, how you feeling?
0: You know, how <laughs> <laughs> It was like, how dare you bring up this complicated thing via the EHR? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was,
1: right. It was just such an interesting way to start out, but the but I did not like the way that she talked down to me. I mean mm. that that part of like her entitlement um or privilege I felt was in that room at that moment where I was like the power differential there. Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that she was whether she was meaning that or not, I mm. mean because you know, because there was a because it had the complication of she didn't know I was a doc she did know that I was a doctor. So I think that made its way in. But that mm. didn't, but that 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 didn't give me any, you know, any um, credit there. In fact, it counted against me because she was because she was really like, and you should, you know, you should know that too, you know, kind of thing. Like, you know how the, how busy I am. Oh, kind of so thing. she,
0: wow. So she yeah. was really like, um, she was aggressive. doing the condescending, yeah. like infantilizing you, even though you're a professional. She knows you're a yeah. professional.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was an interesting moment. So it's one of those ones I can't say for sure. I mean, it wasn't like overtly that race came into the conversation, but I did wonder you know, are, I mean, I hope that she's not talking down that way to all patients. I mean, that's, right. that would just be um, atrocious Concerning. behavior.
0: Yeah. yeah, really bad behavior, but- um, Some doctors do do that. Yeah,
1: everybody. and I and it maybe it was a bad day as well, but I didn't stick around, nor did I, I mean, obviously, am I gonna go back? And this is what happens to other individuals in the black community. And I think the lesson for that story for everyone for that I just told is, regardless of my social economic status, regardless of my level of education, regardless of my knowledge of the healthcare system, i didn't get great care i, I like yeah. i i got bad care in fact i got turned off from my care in fact i got I I don't want to go back to that doctor and I never did and I never will because Mm. that I was treated so badly Mm. um, that there's no way I should engage. You know, that system told me I should not engage that system through that doctor ever again. Mm. Um, And so and I just think, unfortunately, that is happening way too often across Mm. our system, not maybe to that level, but it's happening. um, And some of the work that we're doing in our Black Community Innovation uh, Coalition um, is is actually interviewing uh, individuals in the black community that work for, um, you know, Fortune 500 companies um, that are in the coalition with us and we're learning about their experiences. And yeah, regardless of their, you know, whether they're in, um, you know, the frontline worker or whether they're in the executive suite, uh, they all have these stories.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and do, do, so in your stat article, you kind of painted a case that, Look, the goal in society is treat everyone fairly and the same. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But is that actually applicable when you have a um, groups of people that are medically actually have different needs based on culture? And you didn't actually dive into yeah. it. Well, is there are there genetic differences in race? How much is race? Yeah. How much is culture? You didn't dive into that. You just said, yeah. hey, here's the deal with black folks yeah. and with the culture around that and their interface with medicine. Yeah. And it's different and it requires a different approach, That's which right. is which is different than what you're typically taught, right? That that's why right. You, I'm. I don't see color. I don't see race. I don't. Yeah, see... <laughs> we're. Yeah, we're
1: typically taught. Yeah, the standardization of healthcare delivery is a is a goal to achieve. However, um, that's not enough. We've been doing that for decades. And what we have known for decades is that the black community uh, has, um, you know, experienced worse cardiovascular health, lower preventative care rates, whether that's screening for colon cancer or breast cancer or what have you, um, lower access to primary care services um, higher infant and maternal mortality rates around reproductive health. I mean, three, four X, the mortality rate, uh, compared to white women in, you know, in, even in the same practices kind of thing. I mean, so there's, there's, um, there's a body of knowledge that we have not been hitting the mark here. We have been missing the mark desperately. So I, I put, so that article was really, or that, that statement was really intended to, um, you know, to, to put that on us a little bit. And I mean, that's on us as a, as a profession, as a group of professionals, who are trained and, and need to know better, and absolutely step away from the standardization uh, with these individuals. Acknowledge that um, the health system has treated them differently. Um, that they are likely, very likely, to have experienced some form of either overt or, or implicit bias along the way, whether they've experienced it, like they, whether they know it or not. But many of them have to, have been already telling us stories that they have, mm. um, and they just want to be people. And so, and so. Uh, taking that approach rather than approaching them as a 43 year old black woman, like just, just let it be, you know, uh, Jane or Linda, um, who's a school teacher and, and maybe, you know, mother of three, um, who's had probably a bad, you know, a bad go at some healthcare attempts in the past because of what we know about the system and we want to do it differently. We want to start it around you. Give me your narrative about what has happened in your healthcare journeys and, and and then you know, and, and, and have that humility ourselves in approaching it that way.
0: So, does that require a culturally similar physician to be interacting with that patient, or can somebody of a different race or culture pull that off? I think someone of a different race or culture absolutely can pull it off. Um, again, as long as they're approaching with humility
1: and curiosity mm. and respect, um, and is willing, to, and if they're willing to treat that person like an individual. Um, but if if they're rushed and if our hit and I, and some of this is on our system, right? You're a clinician, mm. you're rushed, you got an EHR in front of you, you're, you know, like, you know, you don't want to see color, put an EHR, put Epic in front of me and tell <laughs> me, to try to treat patients like I don't see anybody, you know, I don't just <laughs> see a computer. Uh, uh, yeah,
0: I, yeah. I, I, I don't see humans, Ian, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I, I I just see zeros and ones. Right,
1: exactly, it's the matrix it is. in front of me. It yeah. is. No, I mean, I think I, uh, yeah, so I, I mean, I think we are running and um, running that risk, but it does not, absolutely not, we, we um it does not have to be culturally concordant care. That being said, the black community is asking, the begging, in fact, for more culturally concordant care. I mean, uh. that where you start out in the very beginning about the fact that we do not have enough black physicians, we do not have enough, you know, we don't have enough black medical students and pre-medical students in the pipeline and in and within STEM. These are all. These are all parts of the problem. It, it, it is a multi-part problem that we are going to have to attack this from.
0: You can imagine. So stereotype threat, bringing that back in. You're yeah. um, a black woman, and you're having the worst day or week of your life, health-wise. You're in an hospital bed, and everybody who comes to the bedside is Asian, Indian, or white. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you're the only, you know, black person in the room is there a component there uh, cuz that that is a kind of an, in, an interesting transference where yeah. you wonder how it affects because we know the immune system is affected by your mental health the mind and body are one thing all the things we talked about this yeah. this this weathering what did you call it biological weather? Biological weathering. yeah, yeah. I, it, you know the additive effect of that so if i think if those if those caregivers were actually doing the things you're saying which is approaching with curiosity, compassion, empathy, yeah. and an understanding pre-existing that this person may have gone through these things, and maybe yeah. even that's documented somewhere in the chart. Or, yeah,
1: or or they can acknowledge it, and if they can acknowledge it,
0: yeah, absolutely, right, right, right. right.
1: It's going to make a difference. I think it really will. But a shortcut, or what really helps, is yeah. But or if that doctor that walks around and knocks on the door and walks into the room, if that is a you know, a black woman who has got her white coat on, you know, and it says, you know, I'm, you know, um, you know, I'm Dr. Olapade, you know, and you know, that you can just understand, you can imagine, you can put your place, yourself in that place. where that woman is like, oh, thank you. Thank you. You know, because then they can at least let their guard down on all of that other stuff that they, you know, you know, of having like speed dial, uh, you know, guest services, you know, in their complaint line, because, you know, because that's, that's the, re- the reality is that they feel, you know, in many cases they're being mistreated or, um, or not listened to.
0: Yeah. Man, I tell you, the couple of times I've gotten calls from patient services, from a patient like complaining about me, no, that wouldn't happen to you. Never. Cause I'm perfect. Yeah. I mean, I'm beyond perfect. <laughs> no, it, it's yeah. always a miscommunication or a yeah. perception of the lack of compassion. Like, yeah and that that is get it, it and it's exactly that and it's all I I'm yeah. always able to fix it when I when I wake up to it I go, oh my god I did do that yeah. let me go in and and apologize and try to connect and, and it usually it works okay. but you have to also drop the ego defense yeah. because it's the first step is to be defensive but right. <clears throat> I I gotta ask you this because yeah. you're talking about this particular dynamic where you have the patient and then a bunch of uh faces and a wolf yeah. that were culturally concordant now what yeah. about the reverse like yeah. You're a black doctor, you go in the room, there's a white patient or an Asian patient or somebody else who's yeah. just like, "Uh, sorry, are you the um, janitor? Like, you know, the, all the stereotype stuff that yeah. I imagine can happen. Though that has happened. Yes. <laughs> It happens to women a lot. I know that. It does. Yeah. No, ab- oh, I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: uh, Jen has numerous stories. You know, my wife has wife, numerous yeah. stories. Also where Stanford this is, graduate. Yeah. That's right. Stanford graduate where the, the patient's complaining that the doctor has never seen them. And she's like, I came I'm, in every day. It, you it know? says
0: MD yeah. at the end of the thing. It yeah. Just just couldn't Doesn't get it wrapped
1: record. around their mind. Absolutely. I, I have been mistaken for the the- guest services for the TV repair guy. Ooh. I mean, all different, yeah. That's that, that an was, upgrade. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I don't know, It's just like, are, you know,
0: this kinky thing, what is your, you know, yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I had a cover to fix the cable? <laughs> yeah. Hi.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, but it, on a serious note, it, it, it's happening. So it's, um, you know, and you you just, you have to split second decision of what to do. And I like, um, you know, our, I don't know if you know uh, Sachin Jain, but uh, he, yeah, I do. he's done some nice pieces on this topic. Like he's lived this experience as well. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, and, and so sometimes, you know, you, you fight, you fight back and other times you just say, you know, you, you that's an honest, you know, that was an honest mistake.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, but it hurts the, a little bit when it
0: happens for sure. Do, do, now do you, yeah, of course it does. Yeah. But I have a question because this is interesting. Like if we're talking, honestly, they're applying a heuristic, a shorthand, yeah. the same way the police apply a heuristic, the same way that, doctors apply a heuristic, this right. kind of quick shortcut, like, well, let me see most of the doctors i've ever seen or dealt with yeah. are white and male mm-hmm. especially the older patients yes. and now there's a um, there's a introduction of a novel element so yeah. the brain goes oh let me put it in the structure i know which yeah. is this guy's the tv repairman <laughs> yeah, yeah. and and instead of like a, a more right brain approach which is oh novelty let me reevaluate my my view something is different right That's but right. i imagine there's a way to nudge that I don't know what it is quite. It may be just talking to them. It may be just uh, societal progression. It may be being present, and I I don't know what it is. You know, it's it's it's.
1: Um, ideally, it's preventative. Because, but I think one of the ways is actually just changing the ratio to some degree. Yeah. So so just fix that (laughs) problem. Just fix the problem. Fix fix the thing that
0: (laughs) led to the heuristic, right? (laughs) Wait, how dare you, Ian? Like, you you know, by by the way, that related to that. This is funny. So, I I I think we got a solution. I think. Wait. Did you just solve the problem? Um, I, 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 one time, I, I had great. to give a talk following Jocelyn Elders. Do you remember Jocelyn oh, yeah. Elders? Yeah, she was our our uh, Surgeon General yeah. under Clinton. Yes. Got booted out for saying that you know maybe kids could uh, you know masturbate instead of uh, teaching abstinence or or as yeah. part of abstinence training they could yeah. use masturbation, and. Um, yeah and i was like oh this is interesting so she she was before me she was in her 80s when she did this talk yeah and she came up and just owned the room yeah uh, and i had to follow her but she said she <laughs> I said feel ex- bad for
1: you on that. i know right
0: she said exactly this she's like you know with 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 Disparities, whether they're racial or socioeconomic or whatever, you know, you imagine there's two kids, and this is an old sort of model, but there's two kids and there's a fence, and they're trying to look over the fence, and the one kid's tall and he sees right over the fence, and he's just got everything he needs, and the shorter kid can't see over the fence because you know he was born in a different configuration. Yeah, and so the question is, do you end up like boosting the the shorter kid with a bunch of boxes, so now they're kind of you know both able to look over the fence? Or you just knock the fence over.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love it. I think and I think it's I'm okay with either one. Either but one. If yeah. you if you can knock it down, knock it down. That's the best. I mean, yeah. that would be the best. Um, and that, but that takes super strong that leadership takes... and courage. And I mean structural change. Structural change. Structural exactly. change. Exactly. That's a good you we came up with a good metaphor just there. Well, she them. did yeah, it. Yeah. And I yeah. stole it.
0: Yeah. yeah. And well, just, it was good. just like we stole those cells from that other black woman. Whoop, uh, whoop. what is her name? <laughs> <laughs> the Gila cells. No, was it?
1: Yeah, Henrietta yeah. Last. Henrietta Lacks. Lacks.
0: And and uh, gave her no credit. Um, yeah. I at least, at least, gave, least you, you gave credit. I gave Jocelyn you, Elders. Yeah. <laughs> was it Jocelyn Elders? Yeah, Jocelyn. Yeah, Jocelyn. but no, that's a great. But there's a great cartoon. Just
1: exactly like, like so, and it may have come from her talk there, where they actually show that of saying like equity. This is equity. It's not equality, right? right? The mistake of equality is like putting people, both people on the same thing. The but, you're, but yeah, but you're like, they're not starting out at the same start point, right? Right. Um, so you need to make some adjustments. So being, you know, not being a racist is not enough. It's not enough for doctors in our, in our profession to say, well, I'm, I'm not a racist though. It's like, well, then you, you, know, you gotta go beyond that. Like you have to go and become an anti-racist. Like it's, you, know, you can't be passive about this thing because if you're passive, guess what happens? We have health disparities and health inequalities that just keep perpetuating themselves every few decades. it's like it does not change. The biggest, you know, the biggest challenge we have, uh, the biggest, um, you know, enemy in the room here is lack of change or that we do nothing. Right? Like mm-hmm. we have to do something different. The way we've been approaching this is is just not going to get the change that we need to see.
0: Okay, so this is an important piece because I think a lot of people would argue and say, no, 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 just by I don't see color, or, you know. Yeah. I'm not a I'm racist, not racist overtly. Yeah. Um, it's that's enough. But you're saying the structural momentum of the of what's brought us to this point means yeah. the fence is this tall. Yeah. And most black people who come up against that fence are not able to see over that fence. Yeah. And so you could you could have a tall person here saying, "Look, I I have no problem with you seeing over the fence. Yeah. That's not a problem." So maybe you should like climb up, or you know, yeah, there's yeah. hear some bo- figure it I mean, out. Figure yeah. it out, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. meritocracy. Get yeah. go get height enhancement surgery, whatever it is. Right. But what you're saying is maybe they ought to be saying, okay, how are ways we can knock the fence down or be yeah, more aware? Yeah, ways
1: that they can knock the fence down, and also ways that they can, um, um, you know, or or, or uh, help get that out person. or get or yeah help that, but yeah, yeah yeah bring bring a crate for them to stand on or get or get out of the way because, directly because if yeah. they're all there first. And they're all standing up, looking over the fence, just fine, like you know. And then someone else comes up with their box and says, "Well, I'm I'm on my box and I'm trying to see, but I can't see past you." Right. They need to account for that as well, you know. I I don't want them to say, well, they um, you know, not not to have their own aspirations and and to you know, we just need to make more room for more um, you know, more people to be able to see over the fence, or you know, and then one day I think
0: we can knock that fence down. How how would you take into consideration, say, a, a white male, and this is a common sentiment, I think, in particularly with lower socioeconomic status white men, yeah. is, well, this is great what Ian's saying and you know lifting up um, black people, knocking down the fence or people of color, whatever it is. But I, uh, even though I'm born with this privilege of white skin, which they don't recognize as a privilege because yeah. they are so socioeconomically uh, hurting, I feel yeah. like now that like, the discrimination is against me like I feel mm-hmm. disenfranchised I'm going to go watch these particular shows I'm going to gravitate towards this way of thinking mm-hmm. etc how how would you incorporate that or manage that in this kind of thing
1: I mean this is a this is a tough one because um I think there are those in, there's many of those individuals out there we saw evidence of that all over the place I don't want to
0: I don't want to call out specific
1: events because you know that gets us into a political yeah, yeah, discussion yeah, I would say, yeah. but some people have shown that um, you know they're dissatisfied with the way things are going or they feel like a table is being turned on them or a pendulum is swinging too far and um, and they could be left behind. Um, I mean, first of all, I would just say that's a war, you know, as a warning, like when that happens, you are, you are reacting in a way that, you know, you're likely being manipulated by, by not a person of color who's taking your job, but it's probably a, you know, um, a more privileged white person, actually, <laughs> uh, who's telling you where to point your anger um, mm. and scapegoating but mm-hmm. um but you know, so I so I don't i so I think they should already be suspicious mm-hmm. of of that thought if that is if that's how they're feeling about this because it's a
0: class issue within it, yeah. It, yeah, I think yeah,
1: yeah I, I think it's been used that way for a very long time yeah. i I think there's some truth to that um you know it's it's not something that I've studied it those are those are not you know the
0: these the, are uh, things like the
1: the white male uh you know um the white fragility i, I you know, I haven't studied that one as closely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know. probably best to just not. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I get. I get it. It's interesting yeah. because these these are like when you look at the online discussions of this stuff, and yeah. you know, my show is interesting because we reach people. We're one of the few, I think, internet things yeah. that spans politics, race, oh, uh, healthcare. cultures, healthcare, yeah. even outside of healthcare, and COVID has turbocharged that. You know, because and again I, I I use the term alt middle which is a k- kind of a parody of alt right it's really mm-hmm. more a, a higher standpoint where you're trying to look at all views and go every view is true but partial but how can we find truth together in a synthesis way yeah so it's when funny. I ask questions like that it's always like okay I'm anticipating yeah you know what is the what's the synthesis of then the divergent opinion on this you know
1: well I, yeah I mean I think it's a great question and i'll I want to add to my answer on it because I don't want someone to walk away and say this guy has is not really thinking about things from my perspective. Yeah, right. Holding because,
0: their view, yeah. Yeah,
1: cuz that's actually not true cuz they got to remember that I grew up you know in Fresno, California, which is not the only place you can grow up and feel like but you know, but growing up as a black male I've had to study. I, it's not like I haven't studied any of that. I said I hadn't studied white fragility specifically. When I, when I say study, I mean like read the papers and go deep. Yeah. Uh, but I have been a student of 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 this dilemma, um, mm. absolutely, uh, for the white population of this country for a very long time. I mean, I would say that's a survival school. I'd say so. Any you know, any person of color who um, who gets you know who seeks higher education and then a profession. You you know you are studying you're probably studying the majority you know American majority all along the way. Wow. Right. I mean all the I mean if it, yeah, I, I can sense. break that down academically. I mean okay I'm learning about um, treatment of heart failure in in academic papers. Who are the subjects of those papers? They're all white participants. Yeah. Every single one I I have read I so I have studied this population a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's just the that specific scenario is one where um you know my first advice to that person would be like just be suspicious if that's what you're believing. Question the viewpoints that are are being thrown at you. Um, Certainly advocate for yourself. I mean, you should absolutely advocate and say something's wrong, but I would recommend that they align themselves with the black community. Um, I would uh, recommend that they define themselves when it's true. If they are a minoritized population— Um, And I think this, a good example of this is the LGBTQ plus community. Mm. There are many white males in that community who could say everything that I've said about Mm. the black community. They could say they're very, yeah, I mean, the discrimination, the health inequalities, higher depression and anxiety rates, um, maybe even higher risk of suicide. I mean, there's you know there's a number of things that individuals in that community, um, that white male community, would tell you that they have experienced at the hands of our healthcare system as well.
0: Yeah, there's also a rural-urban divide with white men too. Um, Absolutely, that's that's interesting, and you can see that. You know, what's interesting is I, I, we talk we talk about race quite a bit and culture. There's the socioeconomic component in healthcare too. Like, yeah. do a wallet biopsy before you even see the patient. What kind of Insurance? Yeah. Do they have? Yeah. How are they going to get treated? The VIP gets actually worse care. So on that extreme of richness, they get worse yeah. care because yeah. everyone's on t- you know pins and needles. They're not doing the things you normally do. You know, yeah. well, you know they're, they're,
1: they're, well, they might be a corporate CEO, but they want to be the CEO of their care too. And that's it's right. Like, but you don't know
0: what you, know, you don't know what you're, you're doing. What you're going to <laughs> end up with terrible care, yeah. and you're going to make everyone nervous and resentful too because they're human beings, and so they that's react right. psychologically. And um, that's right. So, but then, but then you have the very, very, very poor patient who. Yeah absolutely has no access is 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 not going to have follow up and yeah. you do have to think about that you, you as a as a hospitalist that's all i think about i'm like wait, <laughs> so where are we going to dispo where are we going to send this patient like yeah. they're homeless like how yeah. are they going to manage a pick line yeah, or right. iv antibiotics or whatever it is yeah um i don't know if you remember that but that was my early program at
1: the va we did um, i did homeless veterans outreach and built a program uh, for that at the I va palo alto healthcare system and then Um, Went on and added rural health to the actually added a rural health program. So I wrote for grants, got um, Office of Rural Health grants, and so um, you know I'm I'm absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah. This so so I mean I you know I I have a uh, open access. You know, it's access to high quality care has been a mission for me for a long time. Um, but that, yeah, so that includes, it can include a, r- a rural white population. Actually, in that program, we found Native American populations, mm. um, you know, living out in the foothills, uh, you know, and and trying to bring the care to them that was a little closer. Um, and then that's what actually introduced me to telemedicine in the first place. That's how I got into digital health was, oh, was get... my VA early experience. And the rural health component um, exposed me to telemedicine. And I said, well, this is interesting. This is an interesting tool. This applies for rural health. This could apply even for homeless veterans. If we could set up a remote clinic in the right places, improve their access, this could help a single mom holding down two jobs that can't get to healthcare between nine and five, Monday through Friday, but can do it, you know, if it's offered 24 seven and they don't have to um, navigate outside of their primary care desert, you know, we could use this digital platform to actually offer them
0: outstanding care. And can, can you apply that same model to say cultural disparities and- uh...
1: Cool. I absolutely I absolutely think it it is um it is it is it is probably going to be the most effective tool. i I you know, I don't make predictions, but I would just make a guess here um based on the experience that I have seen that we will see um, more removal of health equities through virtual care means through you know because it improves access, it can be offered at lower cost, mm. okay, and you can deliver quality. And there's actually um, there's some old papers that actually prove this for uh, Kaiser had done some early papers in like 2014. Showing that um, uh, for at-risk pregnancies specifically, they were able to improve infant mortality in um, in, in high-risk pregnancies. In uh, I think it was in Richmond or El Cerrito within the Black community. It's just you know there's there's so many different ways that this can be realized for members of the Black community or other minoritized populations.
0: Yeah. It, it makes sense. T- talk to me about COVID and the Black community. No, yeah, yeah, Because this is interesting to me. If we're talking about medicine and disparities, you know, early on, I think there was a, quite a bit of hesitation on the new mRNA vaccines in the Black yeah. community, and this is a high. And actually, there's so much to talk about in just in this, and we only have like a you know 20 yeah. minutes. But I, I was going to say that the the idea that now they're talking about, you know, I, I was speaking with Coleman Hughes, and he was bringing up this potential legislation where they were looking at allocating monoclonal antibodies based on race. So saying mm. being black was a comorbidity. And so just being black yeah. would qualify you say for a monoclonal as opposed to yeah. the same exact white person with the same comorbidities. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just like, well, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know yeah. enough about it. Yeah. yeah,
1: I don't know. I mean, it's um, again, but that could be along the lines of like, the, you know, you have to do more to overcome this this traditionally uh, structurally racist, you know, hierarchy and system that we've built. So. I think that's where those arguments come from. Um, right. I um, you know, I I probably would more align more like with Bob Walker where it's like, well just do a lottery like, you know, you, you know, but or, or maybe yeah. do the lottery twice. Do it, you know, certain allocation for you know, for the white population, black population, Latinx population, but you know, but I, there there probably were uh, somewhat <laughs> equitable ways to do some things. Fair ways yeah, to do yeah, things. Yeah. yeah. More but, fair, yeah. Yeah, but we you know, but we probably um you know, I think we tried to do this with the vaccination distribution and so on. Um, but it's just been hard for these things not to become political.
0: What, why, why would, can you speak to why black people, the black community might be more reluctant to get a vaccination? Yeah. I mean, this has been, this
1: is a, um, you know, a reluctance or hesitation that has grown. It's really around distrust and it's grown over years. I mean, it's, I I think it starts, it goes back again to the founding of the country. Um, but, uh, but more recently, you know, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment that, you know, that really was an atrocity and an injustice, um, you know, where people were supposed to be getting treated for this condition, but they were really being monitored and, and, and just, um, untreated. They thought they were being treated, but they were, they were monitored to see what the, uh, all the, what were all the tertiary effects of, of untreated syphilis. So, um, you know, and, and that, and that experiment like ran out, went on for decades, even after the invention of penicillin and, you know, and there was, there were absolutely, um, uh, legitimate treatments for the, for the condition. So, and that's not the only example. Henrietta Lacks, we brought up. You know, you have a, a place where uh, someone's um, cells were cultured and and were able to reproduce, and we've been able to like an entire you know pharmaceutical industry has grown up using these cells and selling them and, and profiting uh, profiting off of these cells uh, uh, without ever asking for permission to to use them from her or her family. And um, you know, so there's obviously some 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 really interesting stories and movies that have even been made about that, um, but. But those are big examples. But then, even every individual person who, you know, from the black community who's gone into a doctor's office and felt that that person was not listening to them, was, um, you know, was not particularly culturally culturally competent or sensitive or or humble about, you know, um, their background and treating them like an individual. That that repeated biological weathering, you know, it gives you a distrust absolutely. And so now, in this moment of a medical crisis. Um, it does. It didn't surprise me at all that that they were hesitant to to line up for the vaccine because they are probably hesitant about care in general. Yeah, and trust of the health system. Yeah.
0: So one one thing that that I thought I noticed in Black populations in the hospital is that if the physician came in and said, "Listen, I think we're really starting to do more things to your mom than for her. We're at a point where we need to have this conversation about." making her comfortable, going to hospice palliative care, et cetera. The resistance to that was very strong and very difficult Mm. to overcome. And the sense I got, and sometimes I would even ask point blank, the sense is I don't trust you guys Mm -hmm. to do the right thing for my mom. You're trying to save money. You're trying to get her out of the hospital. You're treating her as less than. Yeah, and so that was a struggle.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I know. I think, and and it's
0: a hard one to get around because those individuals
1: can always find an in- instance when that was probably true. Totally. That, yeah, and, and so so we're we're in a hole here ourselves. I mean, as a profession, we have to earn that trust back, and it's not going to be done. Um, you know, within a year or two, it's, it's, it needs to be repeated. Uh, there needs to be better outreach into the black community, better, you know, more resources. Um, it's, again, it's gonna have to be a multi-pronged approach, I think, to win that trust back.
0: And we have to be honest, because are there unconscious economic biases that happen in critical care, right? So it's yeah, le- not not in a major academic center, maybe, let's say in a community center, you, you have a poor person, maybe they're a person of color yeah. that has, bad insurance or no insurance and yeah. you know versus a affluent person let's say they're not of color let's say they're they're caucasian yeah. and they have great insurance and and it pays so much per day to be in the ICU yeah. are you going to push to have the conversation about hospice and withdrawing support right now now again no one will consciously say yes i do that but unconsciously you know, it, it worries right. me. I think our incentives are really misaligned in this yeah. country. I think it's it's likely that we have those bias. I mean, first of all, we should level
1: set so people aren't feeling guilty about their own bias. Like you have bias, yes. I have bias. Yeah, yeah. All, it's, it's, it's universal. We all have some amount of implicit bias. What helps us to address it is to, like you said, is to acknowledge it. Even if they don't wanna acknowledge it out, you know, out in the open and say, well, I might do things a little differently um, being honest with themselves about that is really the probably that has to be the first step. And yeah. then, and then, and when they can acknowledge that they may have some bias, and then they actually start to recognize what those, you know, where those come into play, then we start getting, we start, you know, unpeeling the oven onion, if you will, or whatever, you know, whatever the the better analogy or metaphor is for that. But you are, you know, you're starting to um, be honest with yourself in a way that it, that most people, like you said, try to avoid the awkwardness of that, because um, the reality is that we can be better, but we got to, you guys just got to start to at least you know, identify where you can, you know, where you're not at your best.
0: Yeah, you know, I think this is actually a a good framing of the whole thing, which is you have these systemic issues, which can have systemic policy solutions and ways to chip at it, but then there's the individual issue, right? Like each of us needs to kind of allow a little vulnerability to go, hey, guess what, we're humans, we do have bias. There's a thing, Peter Lindbergh, who um, has a great conception about COVID to this thesis, antithesis, synthesis position, you know, uh, he talks about clean bias, where yeah. you come out up front and go, this is yeah. my life sort of story in the sense, and this is why I have these biases. Yeah. Like, like you can come think- out and say, hey man, you know, I'm pretty keen on equity, like yeah. true equity, not equality, yeah. equity, yeah. because I've lived the life I've lived. I've yeah. seen crazy stuff. I've had to go through ordeals. Yeah. And I've seen it happen to friends and family, family and colleagues. Yeah. So, of course, this is my lived experience. So, the, the, the first of all it does two things. It recognizes in yourself, oh, I have this 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 position and this bias, and that's fine. Because then when something something occurs that may be inconsistent with that, instead of feeling cognitive dissonance, you can go, "Oh, okay, well that's definitely going up against my bias. So, do I have a blind spot? Am I open to to be convinced? What would convince yeah. me to change?" But then also it tells other people that you're open and vulnerable and able to to self reflect and go. This is who I am, yeah. so that you know me. Now you know that when we talk, you're gonna we're gonna come from a place of love because this is who I am. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that. It's, I love that. It, it yeah. works. It's powerful, and and you know, I try to do it myself. Sometimes I fail. Sometimes I succeed. But when I'm talking about anything, if I'm talking about yeah. you know vaccines or whatever, I'm like, okay, here's my bias. Yeah. Because I'm in the medical industrial complex. Because <laughs> I've studied the science on a lot of these things. Like I'm like the guy from Hellraiser. I put a ton of needles <laughs> in my head, yeah. and I prefer that to taking a medicine because medicines have side effects and they're not using your body's immune system, et cetera. But yeah. knowing that bias, yeah. I'm open to. Seeing where it's incorrect in the case of say a COVID vaccine for a young boy at age twelve who's already had COVID, gotten a single dose, should he get the second dose? You know, and the parents are worried. Those kind of things. So yeah, so I think that's important. Yeah, no, I think it is. And you're getting at something um, there, you know, and we we
1: it's really hard. And I need to say this because of what my spouse does in the public health system. Like it's like it's hard for them also to make those policies that that allow us sometimes to individualize the care. I I get that. Right. Because at the policy level, it is tough. Um, but that's why we're trained as professionals is to be able to make the accept, like, you know, someone who knows how to make that exception yeah. or to say why this might be okay for your four and a half year old or your four and three month, you know, four and three quarters, you know, year old, yeah. who's not quite five yet. You know, we'll just give them the vaccine if that's, you know, if that's, you know, cause of the, your situation or right. what happened. High risk kid, yeah, high just risk family, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, exactly. Right. We have ethical principles, which I think have held up pretty well, you know, first do no harm. Um, but, but then you're trying to do, you know, try, but also, you know, try I benevolence, do try to do something yeah. good. Yeah. 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 And uh, and so I usually get stuck on those two. But, you know, but autonomy and, and um, you know, and justice are, are are pretty quickly following. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's kind of cool when you actually. I had to. I almost. I was like, "Am I going to remember all of this? I it?" I think. I think Justice it's is the really good,
0: one. really yeah, good, yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah but
1: we but be- we probably don't all get to Justice all the time, which is partly why we're in this in this mess, right? Like, yeah,
0: actually, it, it worth it's worth as we wrap up. It's worth talking about those. What you're pointing out of these moral taste buds that we all have. Yeah, yeah, so good. the Justice one is the fairness versus cheating. Yeah. Um. Uh. Care versus harm. So that's that yeah. beneficence, like yeah. um, autonomy versus. Um, Non-autonomy. Yeah, so that paternalism. Liberty or, versus yeah. oppression. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Sanctity versus degradation, this feeling of um the sacred or the clean and the unclean, which comes on the yeah. left, it's like you're unclean if you don't have a vaccine and wear a mask. On the right, it seems like it's and this is this is stereotyping, yeah. but just on average, you have this, um, you're not putting that new poisonous pharma toxin in my body, right? right. And so it's right. a sanctity versus degradation thing. That's and right. there's one more which I'm forgetting, but, it, oh, loyalty versus betrayal is an interesting one. Oh, wow. So loyalty to tribe, loyalty to race, loyalty to country. Uh, yeah. versus betrayal. And this is one that really it plays out quite differently in liberals and conservatives. So conservatives really do value the loyalty versus betrayal highly, which is why you can have things happen mm. on the right where you're like, dude, that guy should be like no longer a part of the party. But they're yeah, like, yeah. you know, he's one of us. Whereas on the left, yeah. you say the wrong word and you are gone. And they're just <laughs> yeah. like, nope, not a thing, not a big value for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Cancel. Yeah. Right. That is really interesting. I hadn't uh, had or heard that broken down that way, but uh, but it makes a lot of sense that P, you know, different tribes are valuing different, you know, have um, are indexing off of different parts of the value system. That's right, That's right, good. and
0: but they're yeah. all trying to be good. They're trying to be good. They're all trying to be yeah, yeah and with some exceptions, right? But uh, they're all really Jonathan Haidt's book, uh, The Righteous Mind, goes into this why good people are divided by politics and religion. Yeah, awesome. Really yeah. good. Yeah, good. Ian Tong, i am got to get you to your next meeting. You're busy (laughs) hustling like, you know, CEO, CMO. Where can we find your stuff, man? Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, you know, so yeah, chief medical officer
1: of Included Health, um, uh, uh, president of the professional corporation for Doctor on Demand. So if people Google any either of those, I'm sure they're going to. They'll be able to find they'll us. They'll find you. Yeah. yeah. They can
0: find me. And I gotta say this, like, this episode is not sponsored by your employer, has nothing to do with your employer. Yeah. Your views are independent of your employer. Thank this you. This is just That's something right. that you and I, because we're friends, we're talking about, because I don't want to get you in trouble. And I also <laughs> don't want the FTC to go, did they sponsor this show? Because they did not. No, they, no, they did not. <laughs> so, uh, dude, you. really thanks for having this honest discussion. Yeah. We, will you come back? We gotta get... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We should get Jen in here too. Totally. Uh, yeah.
1: Let's do it. But no, but this has been great, man. Thank you so much for the, yeah. Just having the conversation. It's been fun to catch up with you.
0: Yeah, totally, yeah, dude. Now great. I'm going to, I'm going to think about things a little differently and, uh, yeah, and that's what we want to do. All right. Me too. So until next time, guys, you guys know what to do. Um, if you like this stuff, if you don't like this stuff, leave comments, but do it in a post-cynical, respectful way. We're trying to find truth, right? Yeah. We're seeing everything is true, but partial. If you have a lived experience that's contrary to something you've heard here, state it. Um, you know, um, I don't want your KKK card, that I don't <laughs> want. Um, but if you do like what we do, you can become a supporter of the show. And actually, we're now doing uh, CME credit for people oh. through a company called CMFI where they can reflect on this content. The content's not accredited, but they Fantastic. can go. We put a link there. They reflect on the content and they get CE great. credit. So, so they so learning about this stuff. That's great. Yeah, they, what, how will I apply this to my practice? Yeah, you get a unit of AMA PRA Category One credit.
1: Well, then we should tell, we should have told them to go also to the implicit association test that offered that's offered by Harvard. It's free, and there's multiple different versions of it. They can check for race and ethnicity. They can look at um, religion. They can see uh, on transgender and sexual orientation, gender identity
0: issues. They can see and understand their own implicit association. Better. Absolutely, I took that test. I found out I yeah. think that women should be in the kitchen and barefoot and pregnant, <laughs> apparently, unconsciously. Uh, so I don't think they have that one. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so either. Maybe I'm just making conclusions from my own implicit bias, but yes. So uh, absolutely, so we'll check that that stuff out and uh, we'll put links to all the other stuff I talked about. My supporter group that are subscribers to the show for the five bucks a month or whatever, get the CME stuff for free. People who are not supporters can uh, get each um, unit done for like 10 bucks or something when clicking through the link through our partner CMFI. All right, I did my... Business there. Awesome. You like that? Great, dude. See, yeah. I'm a businessman awesome. too. You are a business I'm not a businessman. Man. I'm a businessman. <laughs> <laughs> and we are out. Thank awesome. you. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. So it really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.